Well, we're going to continue to march through uh, the Word, as we have been, and we are in Galatians this morning. So you can go ahead and turn there. Let me just remind us of some some overall thoughts about uh, particularly Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles. Can everyone hear me? Doug, can you hear me pretty well back there? Guys in the back row? All right. Luckily, this is a room designed for lecturing. So, uh, I just want to remind you that Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, uh, he was a top of his class Pharisee. Okay, and he was violently persecuting the church. He he brings this back up in the beginning of the book of Galatians. But he was violently persecuting the church of Jesus, out of zeal for religious purity and ethnic purity for his people. Okay? He met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he was completely turned inside out. And we have to believe that, that while Paul considered his religious qualification, and we, we learn this in Philippians 3, he considered all of his qualifications all of his achievements in, in Judaism, the traditions of his fathers, he calls it, he considered those dumb, rubbish, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. But we have to believe that there's some of God's sovereign wisdom at work in him choosing Paul as God's apostle to the Gentiles. Right? It required him to uh, totally rethink everything that he had been brought up to think. But on the other side of it, who better to be an apostle to the Gentiles than someone who is deeply invested in the long view of the story of God's faithfulness to his people? Who is more equipped to allow us to see all the implications of what Jesus accomplished? than Paul the Apostle. I want to give glory to God for giving us uh, such an Apostle as as Paul, who can take us into the the heart of the Scriptures and pull out for us the truth in Christ that sets us free to be His people, uh, to be the new uh, creation, the new humanity. Amen? So I just want to remind us that, that we have such a gift here in these letters of Paul. Okay? And we have a depth of knowledge and wisdom that has been sanctified to bring us the truth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? So, Paul, he, in some ways, he's the most unlikely candidate to become a champion of the gospel to the Gentiles, but he's, he's the best choice. He is the best choice. Uh, I also, also want to remind us that um, while each epistle, each, each letter is different in its audience, in, in the message, uh, well, in the issues that it addresses, and even in the tone, right? Some Paul is very affectionate. Some he's very harsh and laying down some, some serious and, and grievous uh, accusations, um, bringing up issues. Underneath every letter is Paul's fascination and really obsession with the gospel the message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Okay? That Jesus is, here's what undergirds all of Paul's letters, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And as such, he is the Savior and the King of the whole human race. As the Jewish Messiah, the Anointed One of Israel, he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this is by virtue of his death. And resurrection. In accordance with the scriptures. It's all in accordance with the scriptures. So he's constantly, in in all of his letters, in many different ways, he's constantly bringing his audience back to those scriptures that he's so familiar with, so intimately uh, connected with. And saying, look, do you see who Jesus really is? Do you see how all of this got summed up in Jesus? Do you see how God has torn the cover off of the mystery? He's revealed in Jesus. There were things that angels longed to look at. There were things that the prophets kind of got little glimpses of. But it's gone full. We see it totally, clearly in the person of Jesus. 
Every mystery, every promise of God in 2 Corinthians, he says, finds its yes in Jesus. This whole thing has been fulfilled and summed up. Whoa. What kind of people are we now? So that's really the, the, the beating heart of each letter of Paul. And we need to always approach it in that way. He is, a, he is an, an apostle to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And that's what he does. So, the book of, of Galatians. It's actually one of the earlier ones of Paul's letters. Uh, one of the earliest. Uh, it's written before the book of Romans. It shares a lot of similarities with the book of Romans. Did you, did you notice that as you were reading? A lot of the themes that Romans addresses... In a, in a fuller and maybe more systematic way, he's addressing here in Galatians to address a particular situation that's going on. So the Galatians were largely Gentiles, okay? And they were familiar with Jewish teaching. Um, Paul usually, you know, whenever on his missionary journeys, he would go and he would find the synagogue and he would preach to the Jews. He would usually get run out and then he would go find some Gentiles <laughs> and preach to them. Uh, and there's an interesting verse in Acts 15 where it says, For in every city there, there's a synagogue. In every city people have, a, have at least some understanding of Torah, some understanding of Scripture. So we can kind of rely on that to give some direction in, in what the Gentiles are supposed to do as believers. That's in Acts 15. And so the church, uh, the, the, the Galatians that he's addressing here are, are largely Gentiles, but we, we know that they were familiar with some Jewish teaching. Okay? The, here's the, here's the, the situation that's going on in the book of Galatians. There are these believers, these Gentile believers, who are being pressured by who Paul calls some agitators or troublers, uh, perhaps those of the circumcision party, as we read about in the book of Acts, um, who are trying to get these Gentile believers to Judaize. And what that means is to take on the, the markers, the outward markers of the Israelite people. Particularly circumcision, um, table fellowship laws, like who you can eat with and who you can't eat with. These are things that, that made it visibly uh, possible to separate, differentiate Jews and non-Jews. So they're saying, if you really want to be serious about being God's people, you're going to Judaize. You're going to, you're going to embrace these, these markers of uh, the Jewish nation. Okay? So Paul is addressing not primarily the agitators. And by the way, I, I used to think that Judaizers were those who were going around trying to get people to become Jews. No, Judaizers are those who are themselves trying to become more Jewish. And they're... Uh, these people who are trying to pressure the Gentiles into doing that are agitators or troublers or the circumcision party or whoever. Um, so that's the situation, uh, to Judaize. And that, that, that's the actual word that's used in 2.14 where, um, where Paul is talking about how when he confronts Peter, he says, how can you live like a Gentile and expect these Gentiles to Judaize? Okay, so that's the actual word that's used there. So that's the situation. That's the situation that he's speaking to. And he's addressing primarily these Gentile believers. He also has a few choice words, some of his prime insults uh, reserved for the agitators. <laughs> uh, all right. So what's the problem? The, the main problem here is in, in chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. I'll read it. I am astonished. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are now turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But guys, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach another gospel... A gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And what that means is anathema, excluded, cut off. You could say damned, right? It's that strong. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, 
let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? And you need to hear this. This is what I think is the crux of this book. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So let's pray, and then we will we'll walk through this book. Father, I pray that you would open the truth of your word to us this morning. That you would anoint our time together here in, in this book. That you would open our ears, open our hearts, uh, to receive uh, everything you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So he spells out his primary concern. You're turning aside from a different gospel. What was, what's his primary concern? You're doing it to please man. You're doing it to appear a certain way. Okay? And you're, you're, you're embracing a different gospel. So then, there, there's three main sections I want to talk about. Uh, the first section is chapter 1 through 2.14. 1 through 2.14. And this is Paul's, I call it his autobiographical case in point. He opens up by talking about some of his history, some of his run-ins with similar issues, as a way of showing the Galatians what the truth really is. The second section is chapter 2, 15 through 5, 12. And this is really the theological meat of this letter. He's he's clarifying for the Galatians what the true gospel is. What actually makes them part of the people of God. And why believing this distorted gospel is the exact opposite of what the real gospel is. And then the final section... Classic Paul, he turns to, so how do we live now? What does that mean for us? Okay, so the third and final section is living as the true people of God. Okay, so we have his autobiographical case in point, his discussion of the Messiah, the law, and the true family of God, and then finally living as, what it means to live as the true people of God. Okay. Alright, so in this first section, his auto biographical case in point. He explains how he was uh, chosen by God, how God revealed the gospel to him, and it all made sense, and how he went to Jerusalem, to the primary apostles, Peter and James. He says, those who seem to be influential, but he adds, but I don't really care what people say they are. (laughs) I love Paul. Uh, let's start in verse, um, let's start in chapter 2. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of, revelation, because, of a rela- because of a revelation set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, I, went, I, went up to, I was going to check this out with primary guys. Peter himself, and James, and those guys who walked with Jesus. And guess what? These big, these head honchos, they're not forcing anyone to be circumcised. So right off the bat, he's saying, why are you listening to people who are trying to force you to be circumcised, when even Peter himself, and James, and all these Jewish The heads of the church in Jerusalem, they're not forcing anyone to get circumcised. Um, In verse 6, he says, From those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. They weren't adjusting my message at all. And so you, Galatians, the thing that I preach to you, It doesn't need to be adjusted at all. I'm telling you, I've checked it out with those guys. They'd added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, 
great little parentheses here. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry for the, to the circumcised, that is the Jews, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. We broke bread with them. We sat down with them. Okay? There was no separation. There, were, there weren't any of these food laws that said, you need to sit over here, you, sit, you need to sit over here, and you, we can't eat here. We all ate together. Because we were all part of the same family and the same gospel. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. The only thing they said was, remember the poor. And I wanted to do that anyway. <laughs> but when Peter came to Antioch, and here's, here's the, his case in point. When Peter came to Antioch, do you remember where Antioch was? That was where the Gentile church really became center. Jerusalem became the center of the Jewish church. Antioch, which is a little bit north, became, uh, you know, revival broke out there. They sent some uh, apostles, or yeah, some apostles from and prophets from Jerusalem to check out what was going on there, and they said, "Yep, this is the real work of God. The gospel is coming to the Gentiles." So the church there in Antioch, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, and when these guys came from Jerusalem. He separated from them. He put that wall back up. Fearing the circumcision party. Okay? Why is this relevant to the Galatians? Because they're in a similar position. They've heard the freedom, but there's this pressure from these people. So what are we going to do? When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... What was their conduct? Separating based on Jewish markers in the flesh. Okay? That's the conduct that was not in step with the gospel. I said to Cephas before them all. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, if you're enjoying your freedom in Christ... How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, he wasn't in the circumcision party. Peter wasn't. But he's the head of the church in Jerusalem. So him cowing to the pressure of the circumcision party is basically saying, hey, if you really want to be serious about this, here's what you're going to do. And so when Paul says, you're forcing the Gentiles to do this, he's saying, quit the example you're setting. You've basically said... To be a real Christian, look at this Jewish apostle, the head of the church in Jerusalem. You're really, when it comes down to it, you're going to embrace these social codes, these ceremonial laws. When push comes to shove, you really believe that there are two kinds of people of God. That's what he's saying. So, that wraps up his autobiographical case in point. By the way, notice all the opportunities in Paul's story that he had to try and please man. And he goes out of his way to say, I wasn't trying to please anyone. I was just doing what God called me to do. Okay? So then we get this incredible section here, 2, 15 through 21. And I'm going to risk a little bit of Potentially confusing explanation here. Uh, it'll be less confusing if you have a King James Bible. Okay? I'm actually going to use the King James Bible to, to clarify some of my points here. But here's what he says. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And you can put like the air quotes around Gentile sinners. Okay? What he's saying is, listen, we belong to ethnic Israel. And we're not Gentile sinners but, get, but, but we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the ESV. The King James says, through the faith of Christ. Okay? And I want to try and 
reframe this at the risk of maybe confusing some, but it's okay. We can, we can talk it out. We can ask questions uh, later. We can, we can talk through this. Let me read the King James. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners from the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found to be sinners, is therefore Christ a minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For through the law, I am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. And then we have this great passage that if you know anything from Galatians, you know this one. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, and yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We'll get into what comes after this. But what he's talking about, the justification that he's talking about, is inclusion into the family of God. Okay? Inclusion into the family of God. So he says, listen, we're Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. But that's not what includes us into the family of God. What includes us into the family of God is that Jesus Christ has come and fulfilled all of God's promises. And he has redefined what it means to be God's people. And he has it. So you can't. What distinguishes you, what marks you off as God's people is not works of the law. Now what does he mean by works of the law here? It doesn't mean basic morality. It means circumcision, table manners, those things. Why are you trying to justify yourselves? Why are you trying to identify yourselves as the true people of God by these things? When what has happened is that the Messiah, in the Messiah, because of his faithfulness, because of his devotion, his covenant, upholding his end of the promise, has said, this is what it means to be part of the family of God. And now all who are in Christ are his true family. Okay, so that's what this section is talking about. It's not necessarily talking about um, trying to earn your way to heaven. It's trying to mark yourself off as truly Jewish. Okay, and he says that, that's not going to get anyone into the family. Because in Christ, all things have been united. We're all being brought together in Christ. There's one family. There's not two tables. There's one table. Okay, and, and Paul makes this doubly clear in the book of Ephesians, which we'll read this next week. He has created, instead of two, one new man. And he has broken the dividing wall of hostility. Okay, so that's what we're talking about. Works of the law, meaning adhering to these codes that mark you off as a Jew, or identifying yourself as a forgiven, a sinner who has been forgiven and adopted into the family of God through Jesus, the faithful Son, the Messiah. Amen? The reason that's important is because the entire discussion after this section now talks about Abraham and God's covenant and God's faithfulness to his covenant. What it really means to be a part of God's family. Okay? So let's look at that real quick. But let me say this before we move on. In, in 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself, but he's talking about we ourselves who are Jews by birth. Listen, all the law, all the stuff that marked us off, it's all been crucified with Christ. It's all been done away with so that this new kind of uh, people could emerge, both Jew and Gentile. Okay? And it's through the law. The law was all pointing toward it and heading toward it. But there was a point at which that was over. And that time is now. And that's why now we live 
by the faithfulness of the Son of God. We, live, we, we are only part of God's family because of the faithfulness that Jesus Christ showed uh, in being that true man. Okay. So chapter 3 begins with, um, he says, listen, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by circumcision and table manners? Or did you receive it by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected in the flesh? Do you think that somehow... And this was, the, this was the pressure of the, of the agitators. To be truly, to take the next step, you're going to start to look like a Jew. And he says, that's upside down. All these steps were leading toward now the life in the Spirit. So how, how is it that you're, being, that you're believing that now to go beyond that, you go back to the flesh? doesn't make any sense. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And it's helpful to associate justification with that phrase, sons of Abraham. Okay, Because this is what he's been saying, we're justified by faith. So then, if you have faith, you're fully as Jewish as you'll ever need to be. You're fully part of the covenant family of God. Okay? The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, meaning bring them into the family by his own faithfulness, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. There's no further blessing for becoming more Jewish. So then he gives three reasons. Because the, the, the question then is, so what about the law? And he goes on to address that. So what about the law? I mean, are you just saying, what were we doing for all those years? Seemed to be important to God. You ever read the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? He seemed to have some pretty clear things in mind. He says, listen, he gives these great examples. At verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham. Okay? God stuck with that plan, he says. The law came 430 years after. It didn't change the promise. It was moving the promise along to its fulfillment in the Messiah, Jesus. So he says, the inheritance never came through the law. It always came through the promise. So, he's flipping it back on them. You're trying to uphold the law, but that has never and will never lead you to the inheritance. It was never meant to be the terms of the inheritance. The terms of the inheritance were always God's promise. To his people. And never through the law. Why then the law? Okay, that's the big question. Why then the law in verse 19? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So is the law then contrary to the promises of God? He says, certainly not. If a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture, and here's here's the key, it imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by, and here, here again we need to go to King James, 22, 422, 322, sorry. 
Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. So that the promise by the faithfulness of the Messiah Jesus might be given to those who believe. So the law basically said, here's what sin is. Let it be known now and forevermore. It was a description of sin. This is sin. Boom. And it was a magnifying glass. It imprisoned everything under sin. So that God could come, and and here we go back to Romans uh, 7 and 8. So that God could come and in Jesus condemns all the effects of sin in the flesh. In In the representative of Israel. So all of sin became focused in Israel and, and as an extension in the Messiah Jesus, so on the cross, God dealt with sin. He dealt with it. And the law was there to make that possible. The law was given so that God could deal with sin in Jesus on the cross. That's what he's saying. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, in prison until the coming faith would be revealed. The law was there. The law is kind of like how God used Egypt. He said, you're going to go into captivity, but I'm going to bring you out. The law imprisoned everything under sin so that God could come and bring us out. Amen. So then the law was our guardian, babysitter. Until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a babysitter. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You can't say it any more clearly. Now, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. And he keeps bringing it back to that. So he's trying to point, the law was there, the righteousness was never by the law. Ever since God has been working His redemptive plan in the earth, righteousness has been my faith. Jesus has come to put the exclamation point on that. To to say, yes, this is how it's always going to be. Anyone who would be a part of God's family is a part of God's family because their heart fully trusts the heart of God and out of that obeys the Word of God. That and nothing else defines who the people of God are. And the perfect example of that is Jesus, the Messiah. So he gives another example. He says, an heir, as long as they're a child, they don't have full access to the inheritance. Right? They still have babysitters. They have legal guardians. Until the date set by his father. At this time, now the fullness of the inheritance can, can be made available to... The heir. Listen to this. In the same way we also, when we were children, meaning Israel as a nation, when we were children, before the fullness of time had come, when we were children, we had this babysitter. And the inheritance has always been the same. But we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, this is one of the best scriptures you could ever memorize. When the fullness of time had come, the date set by the kid's father to then release the inheritance to his children, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, think Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman. I will send, and and he will bruise your heel, but, but the seed of the woman will crush his head. He was born of a woman. Under the law, to redeem, think Exodus, 
those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. There was, a, there was a fullness of time that God was always moving toward. It's, it began at that time in the garden when mankind fell out of fellowship with God. He sent them out. From that point on, he was working a single plan. And the fullness of that plan has now come to fruition in the person of Jesus. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Hallelujah. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, an heir through God. All of the inheritance is yours. Now who's he talking to? Gentiles who are being pressured to look more Jewish. Forget it. It's all yours already. You can't earn anything else. The fullness of the promise has come to you. Don't believe a different gospel. So he goes on, and he, he, he keeps driving this point home. That the law was always pointing toward this. And so you don't receive this and then go back to the law to try and improve on it. This is a drastic improvement of the law. Why would you go back to your babysitter? You're an adult. Right? What makes us an adult? The Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus Himself. He sent His Spirit into our hearts, which makes us fully a son. And we cry, Abba, Father. That's the heart of faith. Abba, Father. I live to you. I receive from you. Amen. All you have is mine. I don't. I, I receive you, and I obey you because of the Spirit. Every all, he says. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Amen. So, he gives, a, he gives another example, Hagar and Sarah. And this is basically the same point that he's making back in Romans. He says, there's a way to have offspring according to the flesh. Case in point, Abraham and Hagar. He begot Ishmael. That was not how it was going to be done. The promise is through Isaac. Why? Because you couldn't cause Isaac to come into the world. It was only me, my power. Okay? And that's what we're talking about here. That's the lineage of the people of God. God's faithfulness to bring to pass what otherwise couldn't come to pass. That's our inheritance. God's faithfulness to bring to pass what otherwise could not come to pass. That was, that's what makes you a son and a daughter of God. Do you believe that God in your life is faithful enough to cause those things to come to pass that you could never in a million years do yourself. And if you have that faith, if you live to that, you are a child of God. Nothing else makes you a child of God. All right. So, we live as the true people of God. Chapter 5. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back to your babysitter, okay? If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. He's saying, how in the world can you be convinced that there's something to improve on in Jesus Christ? There's nothing. And if you want to try and improve on him, then what he did is of no advantage to you. It's all meaningless. You were called to freedom. He says, if I still preach circumcised circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And here's his final word on these agitators. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You 
can ask a, a farmer the full implications of that. Um, a cattle farmer. Okay. <laughs> For you were called to freedom, brothers. And here, here's where it shifts to how we now live. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So what's he saying here in this last section? He says, uh, go on to verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. All these relational words should absolutely give us insight into what these Galatians might have been feeling in relation to these agitators. Well, jealousy, strife. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things, they're not Abraham's family. They're not people of the inheritance. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If we've been brought to life, if we've been created anew by the Holy Spirit, let's draw daily life from that. Let's live unto that not unto the flesh. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And again, think of the situation. It's all about, you know, this man-pleasing has to do with trying to position myself, trying to look better, trying to appear a certain way. In the Spirit, there's none of that. Uh, verse 6, chapter 5, of chapter 6. Uh, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What do you want? How do you want to live? Do you want to live as Christ? Then don't devote yourself to Judaizing. Devote yourself to the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit. Relate to God. And guess what? You're going to be doing things that are far... That, that the righteousness exceeds that of those who are trying to get you to become elites. More Jewish than everyone else. You're going to be doing what that law that they're trying to enact in their own lives... You're going to be doing what that law has been pointing to all along. And they're missing it. If you live by the Spirit, you're going to go way beyond... What these people are doing who are trying to get you to, to become more Jewish. They've always missed what the heart of the law was. And so as they sow to their flesh, they're just reaping corruption. More corruption, more corruption. But as you sow to the Spirit, you're going to be living the real life. And it has nothing to do with these divisions and these table separations. So here's, here's what he says in verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Guess what's in this for them? Status. They don't care about your life with God, your freedom in Christ, your response to the gospel. They want to make a good showing in the flesh. They want another notch. Don't let them. They're trying to protect themselves from being persecuted for the cross of Christ. But far be it for me, in verse 14, except, far be it for me to boast, except in the cross 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. The faithfulness of Christ. The only thing that justifies us. The only thing that marks us as the people of God. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And the firstborn of that new creation is Jesus. And we are all his younger brothers in the faith. Being made into that true people who walk by the Spirit and do what his will is. Not as a means of separating ourselves and walling ourselves off and shutting people out to look better. But as a means of redeeming the world. Saving the world so that the blessings of Abraham could flow as they were always meant to. To every family of the earth. Amen? Amen? All right, so let me, let me sum up some, some thoughts I have. I don't think that the proper response to this book is to denounce religious legalism. As much as it is to, to denounce man-pleasing. So, but those two things can, and I think often do, overlap. A lot of times a legalist is someone who's just trying to here a certain way. And, but, and, and man-pleasing, and this is important, man-pleasing can also include yourself, feeling better about yourself. Why do you do the things you do? So you can kind of just feel better about who you are, feel like you, have, feel like you belong? When you get set free from man-pleasing, see what the truth really is, you'll be so captured with it like Paul that you won't care what people think. (laughs) He didn't care. He didn't care what the head, the chief apostles thought about him. I don't know if I could ever have that kind of boldness. (laughs) To be so sure of what God has done in my life that I'm willing to lay it out there before those who think that they're maybe influential. You'll stop wanting to please man. You'll become transformed into someone who walks in what eternal life really is. Which, yes, and does, in fact, fulfill the law. Okay? So to denounce legalism coming out of a study of Galatians doesn't really get us anywhere. We can be totally free from legalism all the way to hell. real mistake, the transgression as Paul talks about is turning the law into something that can exclude others and elevate you above others and shut out others and make you feel better about yourself give you some leg up on someone else that's the true tragedy of the book of Galatians he says they're only doing it to make a good showing in the flesh they're using you to feel like they're accomplishing something. And to avoid criticism, persecution from these people who want to, who don't believe in the cross of Christ. Shut it all out, he says. Don't listen to any of it. Don't listen to a word. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, don't grow weary in well-doing. He doesn't say stop trying to do well. He says keep doing what's really good. And so to the spirit. Don't so to the flesh. Don't care what other people think. Devote yourself to that. Detach yourself from anything that would want to make you do something and be something in the eyes of others. Or even in your own eyes. Die to it. Be cru- let that be crucified with Christ. And get up and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does that look like? Absolutely fulfilling the law. What the law was always supposed to be. Love people. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Amen. What, a great, what a great lesson for us. What a great word for us. Uh, from, from our apostle. Uh, us Gentiles in here. Uh, we have a lot to uh, thank God for. In the truth of his word. 
Uh, so let's pray, and we can wrap up. Father, thank you for the word. Uh, I pray that uh, by the Holy Spirit in these days, you would uh, place the cry in our heart of Abba, Father. And it would be a cry that drowns out the cry of, am I, am I doing the right things? Do I appear the right way? Do people perceive me the way that I want to be perceived? Lord, help us to live unto you. Help us to be filled with your Holy Spirit. So that you could receive glory from our lives. Lord, I pray that you would minister to hearts in this room who are performance oriented. Not that you would kill that, but Lord, that you would, that you would baptize it. That you would crucify it and raise it back to life. That we would become zealous for good works. Lord. Father, for those who, who are uh, defeatist, who, who feel like they'll never measure up. Who look around them and see a bunch of people uh, who are holier than them and more devoted than them. I pray that you would shut all that up. That you would crucify that. That you would speak to hearts that are downcast and, uh, and depressed. And that you would pull them out of that pit. And you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. And they would become fulfillers of the law. Who, who don't look inside themselves uh, to, to evaluate their lives. But who look to you. And who pour themselves out and let you deal with uh, everything else. Lord. Give us the faith of Abraham. Who believed that you could cause to come to pass. To, to bring to pass in his life. What was utterly impossible without you. Lord, bring things to pass in our life that are utterly impossible. Yes, Father. So that you could receive glory. So that your faithfulness would be shown uh, to this city and to the world, Lord. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.